Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Oh, big guest this week. Very topical because of what's going on with the Phillies and the Padres. I actually also just got back from covering the Braves and the Phillies. And I got to right. tell you, I do this every year. Oh, Philadelphia's rocking. And there's other cities <laughs> I've been to that are rocking. Yeah. But when you go, yeah. there are certain ballparks that you go to. And often there's a formula. The formula usually includes a team that hasn't done it for a while. And this sure. pent up energy from a city and from a fan base that cannot wait to get to the ballpark, be there all day, probably have a few extra adult beverages if you're of age Hello. and just have a time. So I will say, and this is no knock on Atlanta's fan base. I'm not trying to do comparisons there because Atlanta has been an awesome playoff experience for years, but they've had a lot of playoff baseball. Philadelphia has not. And it was evident. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. And then this guest that we have, you know, fits, I mean, throw into that, you know, the Eagles are off to a great start. So, I mean, there's just a lot of buzz in Philadelphia and Charlie Manuel, who, who is going to be our mm -hmm. special, you know, uh, legends lounge guest is a, a person and a man who managed through that fandom because it is intense and was able to come out, you know, with championships. So uh, it's going to be exciting to have Charlie on. Yeah, it is. And he is also beloved in that city because they really love their baseball in Philadelphia. And, you know, they've had, they've gone through as many teams, most teams do not all, especially recently, like, even though, you know, the Dodgers were bounced, they're good every year. The Phillies had a pretty long road back yes. to the playoffs so they really, up until this point, only had to look back to, um, you know, the early to whatever you want to call it, the 2000s at some point, the early 2000s, right? So, um, and then up until about the 2012 range, it all starts going the other way. So for them, they look back up until this point, and what they get most excited about is Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Charlie Manuel. You can go Cole over big pitchers for that team, of course, Cole Hamels. <laughs> so for them, I mean, Charlie Manuel holds a lot of weight in Philadelphia in terms of respect in baseball. So very curious to talk to him. We'll get a little current. And of course, we'll go back in time. He dealt with some very unique personalities, too. So let's open up the door and welcome inside the skipper, Charlie Manuel. Perfect timing for this guest entering the lounge. And this is being recorded before game one of the Phillies Padres NLCS. The last time the Phillies were world champs, 2008, led by Charlie Manuel, who played six years in the bigs and then managed for 12 with Cleveland and Philly. Charlie, how's life? You excited for this series? Very excited. I'm very, I'm very excited. Uh, San Diego had a big series with the Dodgers, of course, and, uh, and the Phillies had a big, big run in Atlanta. So, yeah, we, we, we're kind of um, – I look at it, uh, I've watched every game so far, and uh, uh, these two teams deserve to be there. I mean, they won the, – they, they outplayed their opponents. Uh, yeah, they definitely did. Uh, they were super hot, and uh, those bats are not surprising because all season long, Charlie, from one to nine. But I'm going to go back, Charlie. Uh, it's great to have you on here, and, and we go way back. Uh, the first time I met Charlie, believe it or not, Scotty, um, 
I didn't know anything about Japan about him. Little, little did I know that I was going to be heading to Japan and, and <laughs> uh, find out the real, you know, story of the legendary Charlie Manuel. But he was managing, I believe it was in AAA uh, when I was with the Columbus Clippers. Uh, and you were, I want to say, with, with Syracuse or no, I think you might have been with, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was Syracuse, wasn't it? Toledo. And, and, uh, with the, yeah, with Toledo, that's right, with the Mudhens. Mudhens, we had a bad team there, man. Hey, I could have used you that year. I tell you what, man, and and uh, and you were something else. And and uh, I, I just uh, I, I said, man, this manager is is different, and uh, definitely a hitting type manager, not a not a defensive or pitching manager. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, talk a little bit about that in those days, and obviously you know, your career coming up and, and the time you spent in Japan, which you were a legend in Japan. Yeah. You know, uh, basically, you know, like when I, uh, uh, playing in Japan, you know, like it, it, uh, the story actually should start really, you know, when I first made the major leagues in, uh, 1969 and after the first month of the season, I, uh, I slid on a second base in Chicago and I broke my ankle and, uh, and then when I broke my ankle, you know, like a, they had to tie down bags and I broke my ankle and I had a, and had a pin put in my ankle and I became more or less a, a, a pinch hitter in, in the major leagues. And I, I, I was lucky to get six years in. I was a three player move at, at that time in the major leagues. I got to stay there because the roster was 25 and they only carried like nine or 10 pitchers and they carried a hitter. And uh, I basically was a pinch hitter for almost all that six years. You go back and look, I got 300 summit bats in the big leagues, like six years total. And uh, it was hard for me to get a chance to play because I had a limp. And then later on, I got, when I got sent back to AAA baseball to Albuquerque, I put up some numbers and the Dodgers uh, asked me, uh, would I agree to go to Japan if they wanted to sell me over there? And I went there and after about a first month or or five weeks or something in the season. Uh, I was running uh, up around the right field wall in Jingle Q, Joe. You probably remember that, Estes. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, my foot got caught. My left foot got caught underneath the pad, and I jerked it, and my shoe come off, and I stepped on a, 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 a perforated water system uh, sprinkler. Almost cut Ooh. my heel off. I had emergency operation. They reconstructed the top of my foot, took a pin out, and I got to a place where I could run, and I ended up playing six more years. Holy was, cow! I, would, I, would, I, I didn't know that. that. Was the highlight of my career. Yeah, and you also got you also got beaned one time over there. That was pretty serious. Yeah, Talk about that. Yeah, I got yeah, yeah I got beaned. Uh, I was having a big time season, and uh, I, I think our team was like uh, I want to say we was like uh, thirty five and seven or something, and we was running away. I, that was when I was in the uh, Pacific League, and was with Kendetz Buffaloes. Was running away away for a league. I had like. 28 home runs, about 70 some RBIs, and about uh, close to 40 games. And I got hit in the face, and I missed about a month. And I came back, and they end up uh, leading the league in home runs. And uh, of course, we uh, went to the Japanese series. Incredible! Wow. Yeah. Buddy. No, he can <laughs> right. he, so, he can thump from the left side, buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> did you think? Yeah. So, I guess did you think your career was done or on its way to being done well before it actually was? Yeah, you know, when I went to, uh, I didn't know what to expect when I went to Japan. See, after about, uh, I stayed in the major league six years. And actually, back in those days, you had to, uh, they could send you out 
for 20 days of AAA baseball. And it actually took me about four, uh, six years to work out uh, four options. And, you know, like, uh, and actually they carried me for a pinch hitter. And, and if you go back and look, most of my bats came from the seventh inning on or something like that. And I was a three player move in the game. Uh, I used to get upset cause I didn't get to play. And one day Billy Martin told me, he says, why don't you get over and uh, sh- uh, sit down and shut up. He said, you, you he, he said, you're a three-player move in the game. I'm, I'm not putting you in. So I went over and sat down and shut up. And then finally, uh, I got a break when uh, I got sent to Japan. Right. Uh, and, and then and then you come back. And obviously, Japan was, was glorious. So people still, Scotty, they still talk about him. And he's so beloved. Uh, and you know that 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 I had my time and, and success in Japan. But what, what you mentioned, Charlie. Uh, manual in, in, in the Osaka area where he played mostly. And, and it's uh, he, he became a demigod, but um, you come back, you, you get into managing and, and finally get the chance up in the big leagues and, and talk about some thumpers you had over there with the Phillies when you guys won the world series in 08 with the Rays uh, against the Rays, excuse me. Um, you know, your, your managing style, what, what would you say it was? I know it was definitely offensive. Uh, and I mean that by swinging the bats and, <laughs> and you had some of those guys and Ryan Howard, et cetera, and Jimmy Rollins. But, uh, what was your, your thinking? Yes. I live by my philosophy. I am a, definitely an offensive manager. And I think it, uh, if most guys in the big leagues, like if we was going to sit down and we started a team, somebody would say, I want a first center fielder. I want a shortstop. I'm going to take one, a pitcher. I want a catcher, somebody like that. I'm taking a hitter, a, bit, a good hitter. I look right. at, uh, I look at that uh, when you scout players and things like that, and you, I want a prototype player at every position. And, and, and actually when I got a, if I got a big offense and they kind of feast off each other and, and, and we put up numbers like we did in my teams in the minor leagues we were, for 10 years, if you go back and look at it, uh, how many runs we scored in the league. And most of the time we led our league and with, with running away with, with runs scored. And so therefore my philosophy was if we hit everything is good and we're going to win, we're going to outscore the other team. But at the same time too, we're going to build confidence in our, in our, in, in our team and our pitchers and our outfielders and our, and also our offense, you know, like if you hit, I know you, I know you're going to agree with this. You will run better. You will feel better. You will play the game better and you will have great moments and you'll have a lot of laughter because you will, you know, like perform and everybody can relax in the atmosphere. And also if you hit a, if you have a lot of, uh, uh, say, I want an offense with every option that we possibly could have to manufacture runs. And that's going to make, make our team just like the Philadelphia Phillies. The fans are going to fall in love with your team because it's, it's exciting. And they're w- watching uh, some kind of offense every day, little ball, home runs or whatever. You see guys work the count. You see 300 hitters and things like that. And uh, that definitely, uh, you know, like makes up for a good team and, and actually a good environment. And yeah, easy that, to discipline somebody. It's hey, easy to get on people. You know, like when they're if 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 they're doing the, if you're playing good and things like that, that you you'll you'll accept it better. That's that's kind of my and, uh, and the pitching impression. and the pitching is going to be happier because they're gonna they always got a five <laughs> or six spot every time, so they're gonna they're gonna pitch a little looser. I I listen. Uh, what you hit on was a great statement because when I was in Cleveland, we had uh, we had Derba, uh, we had Berba and Charlie Nagy. If you go back and look, one of them had like a five, six ERA. One had like a four, eight, two or something. 
and they got like $30 million for six years and they did it because of our offense. And, and they got to stay in the game longer because we knew we were going to score runs. People used to always ask me in the major leagues, you know, like, how come I, I seventh inning on some time it depend on the hitter, you know, we'd bunt, but at the same time, start of a game with things like that hardly ever bunny because you know like i didn't want the other team to see us you know like bunt and things like that i because i wanted them to know that we was going to score runs i never bought my infield in early in the game and things like that i never had to because we were going to score love it uh, uh, did he, did he... <laughs> no no but i agree with when you have thumpers because we were just talking about when you bunt when you don't bunt. but when you got right. thumpers and he had thumpers right. in cleveland from Jim Tomey to Albert Bell, uh, and they all and we've talked, we've hey. had some of these guys on the show already, hey. and they hey. praised you. We we had we <laughs> had um, I want to say who was it, Ken, Kenny Lofton, maybe? I yeah. think it was praising you uh, as far yeah. as like loving yes. playing right. for you. Yeah, they loved it because you don't butt when 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 you got those thumpers, Scotty. <laughs> hey, listen, on, on that one on the team in Cleveland at one time, uh, I was a hitting coach at that time. And we had Eddie Murray, we had Albert Bell, we had Mandy Ramirez, we had Jim Tommy, we had uh, uh, Kenny Lofton, and we had even oh, we had Dave Winfield kind of at the end of his career. And but also on our bench we had uh, Giles Sexton, uh, Burnett, <laughs> and 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 they hit like twenty homers and hit three hundred and like four hundred at bats. We had like seven or eight three hundred hitters that year and like four, it had four hundred at bats. And some of them didn't qualify for the batting title but but that actually you know like we had those guys no need for bunning there I, I do want to follow up as far as that in your managerial style because i know you pretty well man and and uh <laughs> did that at times charlie bring about because listen a lot of times and, and many managers and if you look at it over the years and the history of baseball tend to be catchers believe it or not so a lot of catchers right. are considered the quarterbacks of the game and they are no doubt i i think catchers make great managers and what happens they have a really a susceptibility to be kinder and softer and more you know you know give more leeway to their pitchers right because they've been dealing with them all their lives I, right if i was managing stuff I'm, i don't know how kind i would be to my pitchers how were you with yes. your pitchers <laughs> hey, listen, I always you have said, some fights every now and then. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hey, listen, I, I always used to say I hate every pitcher ever lived except mine. Exactly. Yeah, you're like, I, I, would, I would always say something to reflect and make sure that my guys are my guys and things like that. I'll give you, for instance, like the other day, somebody asked me in an interview about Hoskins and uh, uh, Swarber, like they were one for 34 or something like that. They asked me, what would I do? I said, they've been there. Uh, would I change my lineup? And I said, no, because they've been there all year long. And I want them to realize that they are my guys. And I'm not going to, I, I cause more, I think I would cause more confusion if I moved them in a lineup, if that makes sense, because I've had them there all, all 100%. along. I had, uh, Pat Burrow was uh, uh, there one year when we played the Rays. He was over 17. Usually I'd take him out of the game. I looked at my car and I'd I knew he had a chance to hit again. I left him in. And he he got a hit. He hit a double off the top of the fence. And became a winning run. And you know, like and I was, you know, like that's who I was. You, uh, I was very honest with my players. At the same time, if you ask people, I could tell you exactly what I wanted to. You wasn't going to do nothing about it because you liked me, and I and and also you knew exactly where we was coming from it and where you stood. And I liked that about my team. So why do you think some managers um, get antsy in the postseason? And it, it could be front offices too, of course, these days. And it'll be like two, three games in, and there's this 
sense of panic and they're mixing and matching with a lineup that's not what they usually put out there. Yeah, well, I think that's a, I think that is a knee-jerk reaction. And I think it uh, what you what you do if like for instance, that's my um, that's my player. He's, he he played there all year long. But also too, before I get kind of ahead of myself, I like a team. I like we were probably the last team in baseball that had an everyday lineup. I like I like an everyday lineup now. And but at the same time, I like competition. And if you do something, you can beat people out on my team. And people I've heard people say like a general manager stand up in a spring training. He'll say, our our team is set, blah, 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 all this. I'll come right behind him and say, no, our team might be set. But when you get a chance, I want you to play as good as you possibly can. And I want you to put heat on that guy and you can beat him out. And, and, and I've had guys to beat uh, people out before, like Victorino, Jason Worth, those guys like that, they earn jobs. And, and actually, you know, like they beat people out. And, 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 and to me, the camaraderie and, the, and, the, and, the, and your team meshes and comes together and things like that, I, can, I, I think I can prove that by if you look at my team, uh, you know, like in the fact that we win and we, we play better the second half of the season. You know, like uh, I yeah. think that's a, uh, that's, that's a very good indication. No, so I was going to say, so take me back there for a moment to, uh, I guess, what are your fondest moments as a manager? Of course, winning, I'm sure, in 2008 with the Phillies. Are there specific stories or relationships um, that you think back about that kind of stick with you? I mean, there was some serious star power on that team. And like you mentioned, you made a lot of correct decision making just right off the bat when you took over the job in 2004. I think. I think it well, you know, like when I think back about those teams, you know, like I think it, uh, uh, I think our team was very special. And I think that we had a lot of players on that team that loved to play baseball and they learned, you know, like, and they, the more we played together, hey, it took us a couple of years. If you go back and remember, I'm managing two, five, two, six, and we, we and we finally won our division in 207. And I want to tell you something, in, in, in that first two years, it took us a while to really, you know, get our team, you know, like that we wanted and to mesh together and things like that. And uh, all, all of a sudden, you know, like everybody loved coming to the ballpark. Everybody wanted to play. And uh, and also we wanted to play right. Guys like Jimmy Rollins, Chase Lutley, and those guys like that, they wanted to play the game right. And, and, and But not only that, uh, I definitely uh, believe in defense uh, to a certain degree. I think we have to have a good defense, and I think we also, also have, of course, we have to have good pitching, and uh, you know, like, and it, go, and it all goes together. But I would start out if I'm building my team; it's a, it's going to be an offensive machine. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you. I mean, this this is Charlie's way, and 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 Scotty, you you must know that. I mean, I, the one thing maybe I, I wish had happened in my career is that I didn't get a chance to play for Scotty for Charlie Manuel. I mean, I would have loved, you know, from hitting from both sides of the play yeah. and how he would use me and and uh yeah. and and also mentally because as a hitter, then Charlie was able to to coach these guys beyond just being a manager, you know, and and I think that's that's crucial. That's why some of the yeah. the managers that are catchers are good managers because they're also talking to their pitchers because that's all they've done all their lives, right? Is talk right. to pitchers. 
So, right. but Charlie could, could, you know, pick out hitters, talk in the off season. Hey, I want to keep this guy, go after this guy. And then when you come into spring training, you're talking to these guys, you know, and you were always a, an, a, an approachable still are person and maybe talk about the relationship you had and how I think you helped the, you know, these players that you already mentioned, but a guy, one in particular, Ryan Howard, I, I think yeah. struggled a lot coming up and, and had his holes and, and yeah. you, you helped him to, to see the opposite field. Jim yeah. Tomey talks a lot about about you very much and 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 how you know he you helped him to to step close to the plate and say go try to hit the ball you know go reach around right. it and hit it and then automatically yeah. he started and hit the ball to left field. Right, uh, SSR. Uh, one of the biggest things about my coaching style too is I take each individual and I work with their talent. You know, like I might tell Jimmy Tomey something that I would completely tell you different. And things like that, you know, like I would do, you know, like I coach that hitter and try to get the most out of him we possibly can, want him to be, and I've got an old saying, know thyself. And that's what I used to use on Kenny Lofton and all those guys, you know, about playing a game, play within who you are. And, and you know, like, and, and, and this just put it all together. And we got balance and we got, we got balance. We got speed, we got power, things like that. We can accumulate runs in almost every, uh, every phrase of the game and that, and you know, like, and that's what I uh, keyed on. Also, also Scott, uh, one of the biggest things I think about my manager career was when uh, George Brophy, a guy from Minnesota, he's the one that w- wanted me to be a manager and, and sent me to Wisconsin Rapids in, uh, in 1982. And, uh, and he always left me alone. He always let me manage my team. If I wanted to, I can move. I can move a, a first baseman and make a pitcher out of him, or a pitcher uh, move him to the outfield, or things like that. I, I ran my team. I was in charge of my team. I got one interview in professional baseball as a to, to manage, and that was when I took a Philly job. And we sat down and we went over, you know, like what we was what what I was going to do and things like that. I I went through two interviews and I come back out and I got the job. And I thought. I thought I wanted to manage my way, and I always thought that if you if you put me in the manager's seat and things like that, that meant to me like that you thought I knew more about the game than you, and and I, I really that was <laughs> right. my attitude, and and I didn't want nobody telling me what to do. I used to get upset, and but at the same time too, I had had a you know my manager career. I wished it could have last longer and things like that. But at the same time, I can honestly tell you guys, my team was run by me. And I mean that. Amen. Yeah, and you can, right. That's something you can hang your hat on no matter what, right? Where I right. mean, there are people that have to kind of sacrifice their ways, especially nowadays, if there's a team that wants them to kind of act right. a certain way or do things you yeah. know, to their standards and not right. your own, where you believe in your own. Yeah, Com- uh, communication with a player. I, you know, like I used to have tremendous communication with my player. Why? Because they were my players. And I, and did I, did I love them and like them? Of course I did, but I always would let them talk. And, and, and you like, when we would always work something out, I didn't want to get on you on the field or in, in the dugout or in the clubhouse. I can, when I, when you don't make me do that, because I like to bring you in my office and, and, and uh, you and I work it out. And we'll be real honest with you. And in, in the meantime, you're going to be honest with me. And you're like, and I will let you kind of pick which way you want to go. You like when we sit down and we have different opinions. And I oh, will say he was ahead of ahead. his time. Oh, also with the he personalization of, of hitting. 
because yes. now, I mean, <laughs> there's more hitting coaches every year. I mean, I, when I'm going through rosters, because I'll, you know, I'll write down in my scorebook when I'm calling the like game three. and I'm like, yeah, there's multiple. Well, and the <laughs> reason for that, and many players are a big fan of that is some players didn't feel like they were being personalized with their conversation. One hitting coach has one way, and it's not even just the way that he's, say, going over a routine or mechanics, even just the way that he communicated with you. And then there might be another coach who a player clicks with much more, and eventually teams are like, this doesn't cost us that much. Let's just have two of them. So for Charlie, he was all in one where he's going, no, I'm actually going to be more of the chameleon and make sure that I am personalizing my situation with each player so that I'm getting the best out of them. And, And that's just not easy to do, really oh is that it usually takes you know two three four people to be able to please every player and get the best out of them yeah Destin, you know when uh when uh um i had clarence jones had mill thompson and Uh uh, they were good hitting coaches and uh you know like i've seen a lot of good hitting coaches in a game but you know every time i'd ever talk to a hitter they were all my hitting coach was always standing there and before that i would talk to him uh you know, like I, uh, we had already gotten together and, and, and we were very organized on how we was going to go about uh, working with this guy's hitting and things like that. And, and I'll tell you something, and I had some real good hitting coaches that really, you know, like uh, that really worked hard, hard for me, but at the same right. time too, you know, like, uh, you know, like I, uh, I always thought if, if you was one of my coaches, I let you coach, I let you do my job, my, your job. And somebody say, well, what if, what if what if he's not doing his job? Well, if he's not doing his job, eventually I'm gonna come and get you. But at the sure. same, but 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 now at the same time too, I gotta let the guy do his job. I was not as far as getting back to the pitchers. You know, like I remember the first time I ever walked out in a bullpen. You know, like to uh, work with a pitcher was in uh, was in Cleveland, and and I'm trying to think. Of, uh, I think it was OJ, and he and he started asking me questions about his pitching. And, you know, I'm standing there watching him throw on the side and stuff like that. And I looked at him and I, and, and after he got through throwing his side, I got Rich Doobie right there beside of me. And I uh-huh. told OJ, I said, this is your pitching coach. He will run <laughs> things through me, but he's, he is your pitching coach. And, and in your pitching, he's in charge of it. And he, and he will coach you and tell you what to do and things like that. And, you know, like, and I, well, that was like, smart. Like, right. and, and, I, and I let my coaches coach. And, uh, and, but at the same time too, I think, I think, uh, I think a happy house comes from winning games and, and on day something, uh, we were always talking about winning. I talked about winning every day. I touched base with you every day. And I'd also remind you, you know, like that you got a hit, like Tommy to strike out sometimes, I don't know, 10 times in a row or something. I say, Jim, you can't hit the ball every now and then. You know that, don't you? Something (laughs) like that, you know, or, or, uh, or Ryan Howard, you know, we'd be winning games. And he'd lower it and drop his head. I'd come over and, and kind of hit him on the chin. I said, Get, hold your head up, man. I said, this guy's got your name on him. And, right. and he'd go out there and hit one out. And, you know, what the heck? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with Hitman, you know you know how difficult it is and the day-to-day grind of it. But um, I, what about, okay, let me ask you this hypothetical, you know, Charlie. What about your American, well, or maybe let me twist it. Could you manage now? in today's game with the analytics and the front office, probably, you know, literally maybe even in your ear with some sort of device and going like, no, don't do that. Don't do this. I'm kidding. Cause that's not, I'm right. hoping that doesn't happen to managers, but <laughs> could you manage yeah. in today's game? 
well, uh, we're going against uh, everything I believe in. I believe in reps. I, be I, I believe you get out of a slump because that, that the, you know, like, because you hit a lot, you know, like I'm going to help get you out of the slump and how are we going to do it? You know, like you're going to hit a lot. You're going to get your swing back. Are, are you going to, are you going to correct flaws in your swings? So we're going to hit it. We're not going to rest. Hey, you can take that rest and, and, and uh, hey, hey, we can rest in the wintertime when the season's over. You sign on to play baseball, $10, $20 million, $30 million a year. I'm taking the time to think that you signed on to play every day. So we're going to have an everyday team. And, and, and that's what I believe in. Could I manage nowadays? With the information they got about the hitting and pitchers, and you know, and you know, like, and how many uh, percent of curveballs and fastballs they throw, things like that, and, and uh, it, it's a real Analytics, good tool. Man. Yeah, it uh, Statcast is a real good tool, big big tool. But that's the only thing I see. It's part of, it's part of the information of the game. It has no place in the game to manage for me. Charlie, I, so that's why I couldn't manage nowadays. So when you're watching, though, how about from a strategic standpoint, just in general, and the way you watch baseball? I mean, like for me, I like how I sometimes relate this to my job. Like, so when I'm I'm a broadcaster, right? And, and of course, in, in baseball primarily. But when I'm watching sports on TV in general, I'm watching it differently because I work in it. So I, you know, maybe know a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm probably scrutinizing it more than most people are. When you're sitting down now and you're going to watch the Phillies Padres NLCS, are you like going decision by decision with Rob Thompson? Can you chill and actually just watch a game normally, or is your brain way too trained with all those years of managing? I think it. I got. I think I got an old, had an old saying for a long time: watch the game. I think a game tells us everything. Watch, watch the game. It tells you how you win, how you lose, mistakes you made in a game, things you did good in the game, things like that. Have a great memory. Watch the game. And, uh, you know, like if you do that, I mean, it, that's that's fine. I think a manager should be that he should be able to manage. And I don't I don't like second guessing managers or nothing like that. But at the same time, when I see something that I think is is, is not not to my liking, you know, like, you know, like I, I see it. What I see is what it is. What You know, like I'm not going to sugarcoat nothing for nobody and, and, and things <laughs> like that. But do you yell at the TV, too. Charlie? Like, will you yell at the TV if there's a, something, you know, oh, you left yeah. the pitcher in too long or you shouldn't have taken him out? Those are, those are the same thing a lot of people said about me. I mean, but at the same time, too, the game, you know, like uh, the game is what it is. Nowadays, when I see something and, and the way the game is played and it's not like that we used to play, then, then of, of course, I would think about if I could, if I could do something different or something, that I would, you know, like I'd probably do it, but at the same time too, when I watch a game, I, you know, like I get out of it, the same thing I used to. It's just, just one thing. And uh, I can say definitely about the game that I see, I see a lot of luck involved in the game. And that's mm -hmm. when, like, for instance, what, like uh, the other night when Cleveland got about four dunk hits, you know, like in, in one ball left the infield and things like that, or, or when Segura over in the, uh, hit with the infield in, he hit a, he, two strike he just put the ball in play and he got by the the uh, second baseman for two runs but all everything involved in a game mistakes and also luck nobody can put a percent on luck in baseball and all the years I've been in it you know like you you can play uh, all the baseball you want to and you can good teams can get beat just like the Dodgers did and also Atlanta and even the Mets and those teams 
I mean, they can on, on a given day and things like that, when a hot team is hot and, and things are going their way, you know, like a lot of, a lot of different things happen. And then also too, I also believe, I also believe that somebody says, well, you know, uh, I also believe that yesterday's game is yesterday's game. We play in a yep. new game tomorrow and that, day, that game tomorrow has a lot of things that's going to be completely different from what that game was yesterday. And that's the beauty of baseball because it's not the same quarterback. It's not, it's in fact, it's not even, it's the next day. It's not the next week, you know, so put it behind you, brother. Hey, so I want to ask you, you brought up, you know, um, this year's Phillies and, and, and obviously, you know, it's passionate for you and, and, and it's organization that you, you are involved with and follow. What's your take on this year's team? They've been a surprise here at the end of the season and definitely upended, you know, uh, a, a pesky Atlanta team and, and they're often seems to be on point. Yeah. You know uh, what I saw of the, of the Phillies, you know, like they, they got out of the gate slow and they, and for the last two years, they've been trying a lot of players, you know, like, and they, they've been trying a lot of new players and you know, like in some of the veteran players that they signed and things like that. And they've been trying those guys. And all of a sudden, you know, like they made a move and, and they got rid of some of the, the players that, that they figured, I guess, they figured they wasn't helping them or they didn't need them and things like on a team and things like that. And they bought up all this, this, this new blood and they bought in a lot of, with those young players to go with our veteran players that bought in a lot of energy and life. And they started playing the, uh, and they started playing with a, you know, with a high ceiling and they, and they started having the fun. They started doing things right and things. And, uh, and, and actually they kind of took off. You know, like, uh, and now, you know, like if you look at them, I think they're kind of with a trade deadline and everything. They got, they got them a center fielder. They got a couple more pitchers in the bullpen. And uh, now next year, they won't have to go out and look for, or, or this winter, they, they won't have to go out and look for a whole lot of players. You know, like they can all, one or two might be all they need, you know, like to really put them over the hump for four or five years. And to me, that's the whole object of playing baseball. And playing to what you love, Charlie, they built this team on hitting, which right, exactly. is very <laughs> evident too, because that hitting does not get hold, held down for long. You know, they might be cold right. for a couple of games, but right. you're not going to see the Phillies not hit for right. an extended right. period of time based yeah. on that yeah. roster right now, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, like they're going to they gonna have days where they hit and they're going to have days, you know, where they don't. But at the same time, when at the end of the year, you, when you look up and you see the run scored and things like that, that right there tells the story of how they can hit. So before O gets to his last big question, I actually have like a bonus that'll lead into what O asks. Is he's going to ask for a story for you and then we'll finish up. But um, I want to go back to Kenny Lofton one more time because it might have been my favorite story. Uh, what, right? Wasn't he the one who told the Albert Bell yes. uh, air conditioning story? So, yeah. Charlie... Were you there? Were you on? Were, were you part of the team at that time when? Because I, I just wanted to get the mix in general of how you're managing guys like that. But Kenny said that Albert um, was having a battle with the whole team about the temperature in the clubhouse. He wanted it like frozen cold, I think. And the guys were like, yo, it's 50 degrees in the clubhouse. Like, that's just not even healthy. And eventually <laughs> he like smashed the AC unit so that it just stayed at the same spot because they kept playing this game where they would raise it he would lower it were you there for that i was there yeah every day it happened. <laughs> every day every day every day lofton would be there every day lofton would say something about it too yeah every day it happened but hey, until hey, he smashed it yeah people always ask me about albert bell you know when you're hitting 
320 and you got 30, 40 bombs and you got uh, 50 doubles and you got a hundred some RBIs. Basically, you know, like his, uh, he was a kind of a quiet guy in the clubhouse. So, so therefore he could do anything he wanted to really. He, he could even bust the dishes when he wanted to, but no, <laughs> it was, no, it was good. Hey, another thing too, when you bring that up in Cleveland, the uh, difference between my club in Cleveland and in uh, Philadelphia, in Cleveland, we would fight amongst ourselves in a clubhouse. And I was on the second bus I, and I had to take care of the second bus. And we used to have fights going from a ballpark to the airport and things like that. And, and also in the clubhouse. But once a game started, we would, uh, I mean, well, look, we were, we were into it. We were you know, like, we were wanting to outplay one another. And that was good. And I didn't really realize that un until Albert went to Chicago, you know, like as a free agent, when he went to Chicago, the next right. year on our team, uh, you could tell the difference in, in, in actually our, 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 the way that we attacked the game. You know, we, we were more aggressive when he was there and things like that because we wanted <laughs> to out hit, you know, like Tommy and Manny Ramirez didn't want to out hit him, you know, like, and actually that was good for our team. That, that, that caused a lot of, of uh, togetherness and things like that and challenging. It was, it was really good. Hey, I got before we get into the no way, Jose, having Charlie on Scotty, I want to mm -hmm. and obviously the Phillies and, and, and the Padres, um, two guys that I want to ask you being, you know, a, a hitters manager. We've kind of we've kind of, you know, established that fact. There's no doubt, no surprise in my book. Um, Harper and Soto um, compare these mm -hmm. two and, and, and give me your thoughts. Uh, I know you've been closer to Harper because of the Phillies and your ties there, yeah. but. Uh, those are two dramatic, quick swinging lefty thumpers. Those are those are two uh, two guys that's got a lot of, lot of potential, and I think if both of them has still got some uh, their better years ahead of them. I think it, I think Harper he had an MVP year last year, and he's put up some good good se what you call big seasons. He's still capable of, of better numbers. I mean, with, and it all comes gets down to just a little bit more consistency. And I, and you know, like I, and Sosa sits right in there with him. Sosa's, uh, Soto, it, it, like when I watch him hit, he, he likes to hit, he's hungry. I mean, and, and you know, like, and, he, and, uh, at times I think it, he, you know, he gets uh, too caught up in it, you know, like, and, but, but when he's calming down and he's got his good swing, uh, he's got, he can hit, uh, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. There's uh, those, those two guys that are potentially wise as, as far as really putting some numbers up. Yeah, I, I I like both of them. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, on that note, um, give me uh, give me your your no way, Jose. Give me a story. I mean, you've already kind of told told us a few of them just <laughs> in the journey you're taking right. us through that tiny period. <laughs> but you hey, must I'm have had that. a story that stands out, uh, yeah. whether it was Japan or or, hey. or or in your managerial days, or even in your when you played in the big leagues. What what do you got hey. for us, John? I got a, I got a lot of stories, but one of them it's going it's about Albert Bell. You know, we, uh, we, we were playing Kansas City one day, and you're know, like, and, and uh, Albert Bell, you know, like, uh, he swings on a 3 0 pitch and we was winning about five or six runs. And the pitcher got upset, you know, like when we, got, when we kind of got in a fight. Well, you know, like after the game, you know, like uh, I was real smart and I called a meeting. And when, I, and when I called a meeting, you know, like I was getting on and I was just talking directly to Albert. And I would say, you can, I don't, we don't want you doing that. Well, we were winning by five or six runs. And, and, and he really, he really kind of changed some of my thinking about it, about hitting too. 
because he, he got mad and he started screaming. He says, and he curses and he says, you want me to get ahead in the count. You teach me to hit to get good balls to hit. And you teach me how to hit 3-0. I didn't go 3-0. That guy did. And I was wanting to get him at 3-0. So why can't I hit? And he, and he was screaming at me. And I, look, and I looked at him and I turned and giggled. I said, keep hitting, son. Just walked away. <laughs> because, uh, you couldn't and, argue uh, that point. You couldn't uh, argue it. You couldn't yeah, argue right. it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, and he had a point. Another time we were in Boston. And, you know, like I'm throwing to him a lot. You know, I threw BP a lot, all day, really. And uh, I was standing behind this net. And in that cage, the net was kind of uh, rotten. And it was wooden all together on the frame. And he hit a ball right back through the net. And it hit me on the top of the head and skinned my head all the way back. And my head's bleeding. And I just kept right on throwing. And, uh, I mean, I didn't stop or nothing. I just kept right on throwing. And uh, and after, after you know, like, we was through and everything like that, he looked at me and says, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm all right. And I walked and I turned and you know, walked in the clubhouse. My head was bleeding. <laughs> and he and he and he could come over where I was at. And he says, you sure you're all right? I said, I said, you care that much about me, man? I said, that's good. Then. Hey, I appreciate that. I'll get hit more. But that's a good line. Hey, check this out. He told me one day he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, now, that, now this is, this is what he told me. He goes, he goes, do you think I'm selfish? You think I'm an individual? You think I'm an asshole? And I look at him when I said, without a doubt, you, uh, I said, yeah. <laughs> he says, I just wonder, he said, cause that's what our team thinks of me, isn't it? And I looked at him and I said, I got, I got one thing else to say to you. I said, don't worry about it because you're very consistent at it. <laughs> 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 and hey that's what the game needs consistency it, it, so. that's exactly what it needs and he but was no, a winner yeah yeah he was that's right Charlie, that was great really yeah, appreciate awesome the, uh, the time yeah. and the stories Thank and you. good luck to your yeah. to your fight and phil's watching that yeah. nlcs phil's Sometimes we have themes. So if you're a, a dedicated, diehard Legends Lounge listener, you probably had your fair share of Greg Maddox stories. He kind of dominated at times story time during the beginning of this run of this show. And then Albert Bell has taken a little bit of a, I don't want to say a lead, but at least he's hes definitely representing in the story time section too with Kenny Lofton and bringing that into Charlie Manuel and then even getting some bonus stories out of Charlie and his conversations with Albert. But I mean, for example, the, we, we got like a piece of what was going on with Albert and the team in terms of how angry Important. players could get at each other over the temperature inside the clubhouse. And then finding out that actually it was like an everyday battle that was going yeah. on with the team and, and it actually helped them play better because then Albert leaves and they're like, Oh, we're missing a little bit of an edge here. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And and I think uh, Charlie, you know, kind of explained it well that, that Albert, not only his consistency of being, you know, 330, 40, home, you know, 30, 40 home runs, 100 RBIs, 50 doubles, but there was a, a way that he ended up being a clubhouse and team leader. Uh, so we're getting all these stories from Maddox and, and uh, Albert Bell, and mm -hmm. they're two completely polar opposite type figures, but in a sense, 
They're not because they were, in, you know, influential in their own, you know, ways in the clubhouse to to either, you know, get guys riled up or get guys relaxed and loose in Maddox's case because of all his hijinks. But I will tell you what I did take away from Charlie is this this was an offensive manager. And, and you know that I love that. And I've known Charlie for a long, long time. And uh, and because of our, you know, both having, you know, careers in Japan and and that type of thing and success over there, um, I've always appreciated him. And uh, uh, this was an interesting interview. And by the way, uh, you know, talking about managing, he was the only he's, he's the only Phillies manager to ever take a Phillies team to back to back the World Series. He, he lost, obviously, one in 08, lost in 09 to the Yankees. But but, uh, you know, he, he did some magical things over there during his tenure. He did. And it's worth pointing out the offense just because so many managers will talk publicly about pitching and defense and run prevention. And that's number one. And Charlie's like, nope, offense number one, <laughs> which I it's respect. Keep, how, about, how about when he said that, that it keeps them, you know, keeps everybody happy, keeps everybody fun. I, I yeah. think big old, I think you got to have fun and you have fun by scoring runs. That's <laughs> you know, true. Hey, you line, feel better. He's like, you, you run better. And it's a psychological runs. thing. You got confidence, so now you're running better. You're playing better D. Your pitchers are happier. The psychological game of just hitting the baseball well is actually pretty smart and pretty simple. So I respect him. And, and when you get down to it, being again a former offensive guy, what is what is the the, the main ju- uh, gist of baseball of a baseball game? What is it to play great defense? No, to play great defense, to pitch great, or to score one more run than the opposition? Yep. It's to score one more run or more than the opposition. So in the bottom line, you have to score. You have to have an offense. And Charlie throughout his hitting coach, you know, days in Cleveland, uh, managing days in Cleveland and managing days with the Phillies, they, he, he always surrounded himself with thumpers and taught thumpers because some of the guys I think he made into uh, better hitters. We, we have that already, you know, in, in, in our archives. Uh, go find it. The Jim Tomey uh, episode was phenomenal. Him talking about how Charlie Manuel helped him become a better hitter. So we have two minutes for two this week in baseballs dedicated to Charlie. First off, we'll go Philly style for him. October 21, 1980, Phillies are World Series champs for the first time in their 98 year history with a 4 1 win over the Royals in game six of the World Series back in 1980. So it, it, that's, yeah, again, playing that to the, yeah. the, did you? Yeah, I covered that one for ESPN Radio. And, and uh, I, um, it was a very interesting series because you had the, you know, again, the upstart Rays were just, you know, upended the Boston Red Sox in a dramatic series. And, um, and then they came in really hot, but obviously the dramatic underdogs, um, and they fought scratching, you know, scratching nail. If they could have gotten through that game five, at least it would have sent it back, you know, to to uh, Tampa. But but it was not to be, and and uh, it, it was it was something special to watch that and, and the Phillies, you know, garner their first championship in, in many a year. And then this one is just for the offense um, that he would appreciate the 2004 Boston Red Sox. And for me, this is one of my fondest baseball memories. You know, one of those where like I watched you know, the games with my dad where it's 4-0, but I'm a kid, or I'm on the younger side. I'm not a kid, but I was on the younger side, and I'm watching these games going. Four, I mean, it's 3-0 in the, NL, in the ALCS. Yeah. Like, yeah. forget it. But you still want to watch anyway, and the game's tight, and you're just making sure. And then they come back in that, uh, in that 
fourth game in the ALCS and the rest is history for the Red Sox. So this week in baseball, you had the Red Sox taking down the Yankees in the ALCS. Well, and, and I covered all seven of those games for ESPN Deportes Radio. And, and I'll never forget it. As a former Yankee, I remember that walking to Fenway from my hotel and seeing Yankee fans with broomsticks in game going into, Yankee, into Fenway Park, carrying broomsticks after the 18 to 9 debacle the day before. Remember, game three, the Yankees won 18 to 9, if I'm not mistaken, 18 to 8. It was, it was a rout. So they go in there, and I'm look, I look to my left, and I see a Yankee fan with a broomstick. I go, eso no es bueno. That's not good. I don't know if I like that, man. <laughs> and you know that I'm a closet Yankee fan. Or not even a closet. I've come out of the closet for that one. I'm a Yankee fan, bro. Man, <laughs> did they not lose. Dave Roberts ends up pinch running, steals that, and Big Poppy base it up. The they lose that game, and I'll never forget it. I go, ah, they still got it. No, five, six. Seven, Unreal. seven wasn't <laughs> close too. I I, I remember seven as much. As I remember Gomes. four. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Damon hits Damon. a grand slam he, he early grand on. Slam early, <laughs> it was. Oh, I was. You know freaking. what I'll tell you was the most incredible sight. I finished the broadcast right, so we're finished the post game for ESPN Deportes Radio Radio, and there are about two thousand Ray uh, Red Sox fans of the fifty five thousand fans that were there. So they were scattered around the stadium. You really didn't notice them, right? Until yeah. the game is over, all 53,000 had left. Those 2,000 gathered together behind the dugout in third base, and the Red Sox came back out, homie, and they celebrated with those like up, upwards of about a couple thousand fans. It was crazy. I looked at it, and I go, these guys are going to win a World Series. And the first sure enough. Yeah, they stormed right through. So a good look back in time and a great little chat with Charlie Manuel as we uh, close up the lounge and we'll see you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.